And good morning. I want to welcome you to Central on this Veterans Day weekend. Let me just say thanks on behalf of our congregation to all of you men and women who have served and sacrificed for our country. Thank you for all that you've done for us. And it's a pleasure to welcome you into the house of the Lord in worship this morning. Welcome to Central, where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that's what you experienced this morning. Jesus here, bringing hope and life into your own life. We're returning this morning to the At the Table with Jesus series, and we're examining this fall Jesus' mealtime interactions with people and what he said to them, how he treated them, how he welcomed them around meals. And today we look at a pretty unique event. We come to the table this, this morning at Passover, where Jesus was celebrating with his disciples in Luke chapter 22. But this was an unusual Passover because the Lamb of God was at the table. The Lamb of God, Jesus who had come to take away our sins, he was there at this table, the last Passover, to anticipate the coming of the Lamb into the world, became the first communion, a meal of fellowship with the crucified and resurrected Jesus. What does he offer you today as you and I come to that same table? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would send your spirit and open our eyes to Jesus. Help us to behold his beauty. Open our ears to hear his call and invitation and renew our wills to follow him again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 22, beginning in verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is for you, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another. Which of them it could be who was going to do this? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I've had the privilege of serving the Lord and his people all over the world, whether it's been as a pastor or sometimes as a teacher, or when I worked for a relief and development ministry called Food for the Hungry, I had that privilege of serving God all over the world, and there's something I've experienced that's in common wherever I've been. It's at the table is a place for intimacy. It's the same all over the world, whether I was eating termite sauce in a village in northern Uganda in a, under a mud hut, or eating hummus with a family in their home in Lebanon, or eating fish lips at a meal in China. No matter what the food has been, the purpose is the same. The table is built for intimacy. It's a place for, for deep personal talks. It's a, a place where families blend together and bond. It's, it's a place where relationships are reconciled. 
It's our place for, for people to come together in a deepening intimacy and connection with one another. And Jesus has his table for a similar purpose. This table setting was the Passover, a meal where God's people remembered his rescue of them out of their slavery in Egypt. You might remember it's told, the story is told in Exodus chapter 12. When Moses had been God's man to go charge Pharaoh to let all of his people go, and Pharaoh refused, and God sent a series of plagues into Egypt, ratcheting up the severity of them to force Pharaoh's hand. But he declined each time. And then the Lord sent that tenth plague, the last one, the most severe, the death of the firstborn, as an act of judgment for sin. It was an intrusion of God's righteous and holy justice and his judgment into that particular time and that particular place. And that judgment was to fall on everyone. The first one, firstborn would be taken from every family. Even livestock firstborn would be taken. And there was no escape from it except trusting in the promise of God. God said that if his people sacrificed a lamb and put the lamb's blood over the doorpost of their home, then this angel of death, this angel of judgment as it came over Egypt would pass over their homes and they would be left safe because the blood of the lamb took the place of the blood of the firstborn in those families. That one did the trick. God's people were set free. That's what the disciples were celebrating that night as they came to that intimate meal with Jesus in that upper room, remembering God's rescue through blood. But this time, the Lamb of God sat there at their table. The Lamb of God who would the very next day be crucified for them, for you and for me. And that same Jesus is here in this table today. He's here at Central with you this morning. What do we find when we come to the table with Jesus. Well, first thing that we find is that he absolutely loves being with his people. He is thrilled to have fellowship with you and me, not just those original apostles, but he's thrilled in fellowship with you and me. Look at verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before, our suffer, before I suffer earnestly desired to eat this Passover. That, trend, that phrase translated earnestly desires, we could more woodenly understand it. I have desired with a great desire to celebrate with you. He treasured this time with his people. He delighted in their companionship. He loved having fellowship with these people. These, these men gathered around this table. He was ecstatic to be with his followers. And do you know that that same Jesus desires with a great desire to be with you. That same Jesus desires with that same great desire to gather with you around his table today. But sometimes if you're anything like me, you may not feel much like he desires you. Maybe you feel like, I don't deserve to come to this table of intimacy with the Holy One, the King of kings and Lord of lords. I don't deserve to be invited into his family because I'm too guilty. I'm too poverty stricken. I'm too corrupted. I'm too whatever. Well, you're in good company with these disciples around the table with Jesus. Look at verse 20. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 
But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. He's saying this cup is the covenant in my blood, that that promise that binds us together, but there's treachery in our midst. My blood is poured out and the betrayer's hands are on this same table with me. Because Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, Judas sat right there and enjoyed this meal. Judas, the one whom Jesus had washed his feet earlier, Judas was there. The betrayer's hands were on the table, but not just Judas, also Peter. Peter, the one who just a few hours later would say, Lord, I'll never leave you and draws his sword to defend Jesus. That same Peter betrayed Jesus three times even denying that he knew Jesus to this young servant girl. He had no reason to fear her, but he betrayed Jesus. And every one of those men seated around that table with Jesus that night, the very next day, abandoned Jesus in fear, in grief, in shame, in sin. Every single one of them betrayed Jesus' great love for them. Everyone. Just like everyone here, too. We betray Jesus, our Lord, when we return to our sin and deny his powerful work to free us and forgive us. We are betrayers with our hands at the table, too. We might be tempted to believe that Jesus reserves that table fellowship for those who are strong, but the Bible says he truly welcomes the weak. He welcomes the frail. He welcomes those who know that they need strength coming from him because it doesn't lie within me. We might be tempted to believe that Jesus holds a special place at his table for those who have done really well following him, those who've kept all the laws, those who are proud of our fidelity and faithfulness to him. But rather, the Bible says, as one friend of mine says, Jesus welcomes those who've run out of excuses. Is that you this morning? Is that me? We sinful, broken people have been welcomed into this intimate circle of friendship. We've welcomed to Jesus' table, fulfilled with love, a love that flows like a raging river to sinners like you and me. His desire of great desire is not that he expects perfect people to come to his table. Not that he even expects really good people to come to his table. But this table of loving fellowship is to be filled with sinners betrayers, the fearful, those who know that we need Jesus. Because truly betrayers and sinners are the only kinds of people there are. All of us have stories filled with sin and shame. And yet, if we've trusted the Lord Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords has entered into this world to save you. He's come to be your Passover lamb. Even if your life is a tragic mess, by faith, by trusting in what Jesus has done, relying on what Jesus has done for you instead of relying on your own good works. If you've trusted and relied upon Jesus, you have a seat at the table because Jesus wants you there. Jesus desires with great desire to have you at his table. So if you feel cast aside this morning, hear his voice again, that he treasures you. He invites you, no matter how sinful, no matter how broken, no matter how heartsick, no matter the betrayal still in your heart, he invites us all to come to his table to repent and turn away from our sin and trust 
and be joined together with Jesus in his new family. He invites us into his loving fellowship. Secondly, not only does he invite us, but Jesus shows us that he's in union with us. At the table, he shows us that he's been joined together with us as his people. Now, theologians have described the Lord's Supper communion, which we will celebrate at the end of our service today. They've described it as a sign. It's a sign that points to something. It's a sign that that points to some specific act of God to rescue and save his people. Well, what is it a sign of? Look at verse 19. He broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then the cup, verse 20, poured out for you is the new covenant, that new binding promise in my blood. He said that it's, I'm given for you. And given for you is a language of a substitute. He's not really saying I'm given for your benefit. But instead what he means is I've been given in your place. His blood was poured out. His life was emptied out instead of ours. That's what he's saying. Just like the Passover lamb had been given for the people. In the Passover that they'd celebrated for a thousand years, in the Passover that Jesus celebrated with his disciples that night, they looked back on the time when God supplied the lamb, the blood of the lamb given instead of the blood of the firstborn. But that night, at that table, they looked forward. They look forward to the next day where Jesus says, this bread is my body and this wine is my blood. It's just like the lamb in Passover. I have gone to die in your place. Jesus says on the cross, I've come to be your substitute. I'm the firstborn. I am the firstborn to take your judgment upon me. I will die so that you may live. Jesus says we've been joined to him in his death and in his life. And when we eat this meal at his table, Jesus is spiritually present with us and we participate in this sign that reminds us and demonstrates and pictures to us that all of our guilt and all of our sin and all of our shame has been nailed to the cross in Jesus's body. And so therefore you are wiped clean because he was given for you. He gave his life Instead of yours, he was judged instead of you that you and I might live forever. You see, by faith, by trusting in that work of Jesus rather than trusting in myself, by relying in what he has done for me, for me, when we trust in that, we're united to, we are connected to Jesus, the one who was slain for us. And all of our sins, past, present, and future, nailed in his body to the cross where he was given for us where by faith we are joined together with him and every time we eat this bread and this cup is poured the Holy Spirit points again he points our hearts remember what Jesus has done that our death is covered and captured in his death and therefore our life is given in his victorious resurrection life. We're joined together with Jesus at his table. But the meal also communicates that we're joined together to one another in union, not only with Jesus, but in union as the body of Christ, as the people of God, the church, we are joined together. One pastor put it this way. We proclaim his death by eating together as a reconciled community through the cross. The cross humbles us all 
as we see the extent of our sin. And the cross exalts us as we are welcomed into God's family. Listen to this line. The family that eats together stays together. We're bound together as we participate together in this sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Think about these disciples. They're taken from lots of different backgrounds. They were very different on polar opposite politically in Jesus' day. They had very different lives, very different socioeconomic classes, very different experiences of life following Jesus, and yet they were bound together in this meal by the cross on which our Passover lamb has been crucified. They were joined to each other such that what they had in common with each other, what bound them together as his disciples was tighter than anything else that could bind them. Let me say it this way. Your blood family binds you together with your family, but the blood of Jesus binds the blood of Jesus' family even more foundationally together. The truth is that we have more in common. We are bound tighter with the body of Christ, with brothers and sisters in Jesus. We are more tightly, we are more foundationally bound than any other association you have. Being Bound to Jesus is more foundational to who you are than being united with other people who share your politics. Being with Jesus is more foundational. It's deeper. It's truer. You have more in common, even if you differ politically. Being bound to Jesus is a more foundational understanding of who we are, even over our nationality. As as much of a blessing as that is, being bound to Jesus and one another is deeper. Being bound to Jesus and one another is more foundational than our race, than our vocations, than our social classes. It's deeper and more profound than any other marker in your life. It binds you together more closely than any other bond in your life. And you have more in common with brothers and sisters in Christ than with anyone else. Does it feel like that to you today? Do you feel that bond with Jesus's people. He died to make it so. It's one of the beautiful things that you learn when you go on a mission trip. Connection that you feel with other believers from from very different cultures. You eat differently. You eat different things. And when you worship together, you're worshiping very differently than how you worship here at Central. I remember being in that same village in the north of Uganda, and I had zero in common with any of these people. And Worship there was very different than it is here at Central. We were in a mud hut. I was a different color than everybody else in the room. I had a different vocation from everybody else in the room. They did their offering different. They gave of themselves differently, and yet they sang with exuberance, and I felt at home. I didn't even sing in their language, but I felt bound to those people, connected to those people. Because our bond in Christ is foundational to who we are. Did you not feel it a few weeks ago in our missions, uh, mission weekend when the Micah boys were here? They're giving their, 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 what they were doing in the Micah house. Did you not feel bound to them when they come and visit? We realize we have so much in common. They come from the streets. And yet... We have so much more in common with them than almost anybody. Did you not feel it when Igor Yeramchuk, our brother from Irpin, Ukraine, preached the word powerfully? Did you not hear God's word and feel his heart connected to his heart? It's because being joined together in Jesus is the most foundational truth of who you are. 
You'll, you'll see it if you have the privilege of going on the mission field to visit the Kindergores in, in Kenya or the Perezes in Portugal. We can feel what the Holy Spirit points to here, that we're joined together. And yet sometimes it's easier to feel joined and united to believers on other continents than it is with those in our own backyard. And feel ease of relationship with brothers and sisters on another continent than down the block in our own city of different races or different class. But nevertheless, it's true. We are bound together as God's people, joined together in this common relationship with Jesus that binds us to Jesus and gives us hope of life one with another. Because whenever you come to this table, it's a foretaste. Whenever we come to this table, it's, it's a foretaste. It's just a, just a little bit of bringing the taste of eternal life that we will have when Jesus returns. It brings it crashing into the present right now. That reconciliation and that union that we will have forever comes crashing into your life right now. So I want you to look around the church. Just take a moment, look around. These are people you'll be spending eternity with. If we were to go to Friendly Temple Missionary Baptist Church, one of our partner churches, you look around that room and most of those folks are African-American in there. We will be spending eternity with them because we are bound together in Jesus. What happens at the table is we have a foretaste of what is living in eternity is coming crashing into our life in the present because we have more in common with brothers and sisters in Jesus than with anyone else in the world. It's the work of the cross. The cross unites us into a functioning, joined, connected relationship with Christ and with one another. Third and finally, at the table, Jesus also gives us an assurance of his help. It's an assurance of his help. Some theologians not only point to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper as a sign, but it's also a seal. Now, what do we mean by a seal? It's not the animal that barks and claps, not that kind of seal. But maybe you've seen it on uh, movies, maybe you read about it in books in those days. The important documents would be sealed with wax. And the person who had the authority would, would put his signet ring in the wax and validate and give the authority of the person making the promise because the person whose seal is in that wax imprint says, I have the power to do what's written inside this document. That's what a seal is. By my authority imprinted in this wax seal, I have the power, I have the authority to do what is promised inside this document. And at the table with Jesus, we find a seal of Jesus' power. We come to his table as God's personal signet ring is, it, it is given to validate and guarantee and emphasize the trustworthiness of what we celebrate that Jesus' life is given for us. When we come to communion, it's, it's like God's signet ring implanted in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit to prove to you that the love of Jesus is real, that Jesus truly gave himself for you. And we need that assurance because so often our hearts scream out to condemn us. Our sins judge us. The devil accuses us day and night, the Bible says. So where are you going to go for your assurance? Where are you going to go to be reminded and assured of the favor of God given to you? Because if you look at your good works, it's not going to bring you assurance. 
If you try to balance out, I've done more good than bad, it's only going to leave you a radically insecure person because no one can ever make that deal with God. Where are you going to go for your assurance? Maybe you look at the resume that you pile all these things I've done for God. I pile this and this and this and this. I've taught, I've given, I've saved, I've done all of these things, God. Here's my resume. I still want to leave you radically insecure because offering your resume to God will never give you lasting assurance of his promise of salvation. We go to his word where we read his promises and we come to the table where the Holy Spirit stamps in your heart that you are loved and treasured and saved because of the blood of Jesus given and pictured here for you. That's where assurance comes from. It comes from the promise of God. And we meet that promise in Jesus at the table. He said to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. It's more than just a cognitive exercise. It's more than just thinking about it, but rather it's a memorial of the promise, a remembering, a celebrating together the promise that God saves sinners by the blood of the Son and the Holy Spirit presses it in our hearts through faith. Maybe you feel unworthy to be at this table. Maybe you feel like you don't belong, but what is sealed here by the power of God himself is that the blood of Jesus is sufficient for you and for me, even you and even me, and he will press it into our hearts, into our our inner being by the power of his spirit. It's communing at this table is as spiritually nurturing to your soul as physical food is to your body. Robert Bruce, the 16th century Scott theologian said this, I'm gonna summarize it. He said, we don't get a better Jesus in the Lord's Supper as compared to the word. He's saying you don't get a better Jesus when you come here than listening to the promises of God's word read and proclaimed to you. You don't get a better Jesus at the table, but you may get Jesus better. You see the difference? In other words, the Lord appears, appeals to our ears with the promises of the word. He appeals to our heart with the promises of the word. And when we come to the table, he bombards all the rest of our senses with his promise of salvation. When we come to the table, we see and we taste and we touch and we smell the assurance, that tangible guarantee of God's presence and his promise that he can save even me. That's what we experience at the table. His blood can wash us clean. And it's just as real and just as spiritually present as that fruit of the vine that you taste on your tongue. His body broken, given for all of your sin, is just as real and just as present here as the bread that you taste on your lips. It's offered by Jesus. It's done by the Spirit's work in the deep places of your heart, stamping, imprinting, sealing that love of God into your soul. Do you need assurance today? Do you need to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God loves you? Hear the promise and experience the promise at the table. We come in just a moment to this table, and it's not Central's table. It's not even a Presbyterian table. It's a table that belongs to Jesus, and he himself is the host, and he himself is calling you to come today and experience that intimate fellowship. Come to Jesus today who desires with a great desire that you come be with him 
Come to Jesus today who has promised that you are joined and united to his body on the cross. You're joined to his body as he was raised from the dead in victory over all of your sin. And you're joined to one another as the body of Christ. It's all guaranteed by his blood. He says, come all you who are weary and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you've loved us in this full and sufficient way. Would you press your love deep into our hearts today? No matter what we're feeling, no matter what we've done in the days before, no matter what we've done this morning, help us to remember your faithful and forgiving love. Open our eyes and our hearts, our wills, open all of our senses to be bombarded with your sufficient love this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.